Being O-Line Media presents The History of Being Black. Welcome to another episode of The History of Being Black. I am still Black, and I'm still Eunice Elliott. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. We've had a wonderful first season, and we are joined by a friend of the podcast, Dr. Eden Renee Hayes, who is the director of the Davis Center at Williams College and is also the owner of Pluralism. You've been here before, and we appreciate you taking our call to come back. Welcome back, Dr. Eden Renee Hayes. Thank you. I'm very happy to be named as a friend of the show. Oh, definitely. And most of the time um, you don't have a choice. So (laughs) once we get your phone number, we keep it. So we have had so much happen in the time since we spoke last. And if anyone has missed the earlier episode, it is there. Make sure you go back and and, and listen to our earlier uh, chat with Dr. Hayes. But what we really want to talk about with you today is a hotbed subject. And some people understand what it is. Some people do not understand what it is. But we're talking about CRT, critical race theory. What is that in a nutshell? Critical race theory is actually pretty simple um, in that nutshell. It's basically that racial unfairness has permeated American society in our policies, in our procedures, in our laws. We don't really live in a colorblind society. Instead, we live one that's based on racist ideas. So now why I feel like the, the terminology critical race theory is a new term for me. Is it something that's already been in existence, but just depending on what you studied in school or what your disciplines were in education, would you have studied critical race theory more uh, intently versus just if you attended public high school in America? Maybe yes, maybe no, because there is a difference between basically learning about critical race theory and being the benefit of critical race theory's ideologies. So basically um, there is Going into social sciences, into into legal sciences, that's where chances are you learned like this is what critical race theory is. You learned a definition, you learned like about different scholars, you learned more about the history of it and the way that it's done, like in our fabric of our the ways that we study different things today. But there is also like, well, did a teacher or professor use critical race theory methods? wittingly or unwittingly, you know, with you. So that's where, you know, there, there's two different approaches to how that question might be, might be answered. So some of us did actually sit down and learn, this is what critical race theory is. And some of us may have benefited from critical race theory's methods of teaching, even though it wasn't named as critical race theory. Now, I guess when you're breaking that down for me, my question is the same, but different as systemic racism in general, or is it kind of like the same the same pie, just a different slice. It's the same pie. Um, that's what, that's the way that I would put it. It's basically in critical race theory is the fact that systemic oppression has permeated our society. So what's the problem? And this is a, it is not a rhetorical question because I want you to answer it, but what's the problem with, with learning it and teaching it? Nothing. <laughs> so why are people in such arms about critical race theory right now and saying, we don't want this taught? That's hard for me to answer because that's not what I believe. And I'm going to be very honest. I also don't believe that the people who are against critical race theory are actually against critical race theory. When I see them, like sometimes, like I'll admit, I'll watch like a a Fox News, a Tucker Carlson Mm -hmm. or somebody like that, because I want to know how the people who don't think in the same way that I do how they're getting their news. So when I watch them, like people being interviewed and talking about how they don't want critical race theory taught, what I see is them using different phrases that suggest 
like that you actually do believe in critical race theory. It's just that they're not saying that they do. Instead, they're trying to promote that critical race theory is somehow against white people um, and then teaching us to hate white people. And that's not what it is at all. And it is about white supremacy, which is very different. White supremacy is systemic oppression. It's systemic racism. That's what we're saying whenever we say white supremacy. We're not necessarily talking about um, like Nazis and, and, you know, but it, we are talking about hierarchy when we're talking about white supremacy. And white supremacy is something that affects all of us, no matter what our racial backgrounds are. Like white people are just as susceptible to, to white supremacy. It's just that the negative effects of it are much worse on people of color than they are on, on white people. So I guess, uh, can can you learn this information and then not hate white people? <laughs> can you learn the truth Certainly. And, and not have, have not have the hate? This is probably the worst phrase to use in the world, but my best friend is white. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I get that. You know, and, and this is, you know, I, I'm an expert in diversity, equity and, in, and inclusion, but that doesn't make me hate white people like and, and it's never going to. And, you know, yes, I I. I'm not, you know, particularly fond of the system that we are in, but we are in this system. And it is with critical race theory that we raise awareness of the system that we are in. So I guess my question from that would be, I don't hate white people. Some of my best friends are white. We actually have a joke between two of my best white girlfriends. um, I often tell them, I love you like a sister, but when the revolution comes, I got to kill you first. So my people go down. (laughs) And they actually will argue with each other on which one I'm going to kill first. That's the one I'm closest to. <laughs> but oh, <that's> anyway, <laughs> my experience has been, though, that when we learn the history, Black folks tend to not hate white people. We know that's what happened in the past. And there were some horrible people that facilitated this horrible trauma on our ancestors. Why is it sometimes it seems like white people tend to have this trickle down hate or disdain for Black folks who weren't there? And we don't tend to have that in reverse. Well, one point with that is also to to recognize with critical race theory that it's not just this is what happened in the past. It's because this happened in the past. This is what we are experiencing in the present. So it's not just about the history. It's about recognizing how the history brings us to our present moment and how our history really builds into where we are at this like at this day and time. But also with that, it's your more specific question was about why why is there the, the reverse there? How is it the, that we black people are not going to hate white people, but white people you know can hate us? And you know that this is what we're we're taught. There are a lot of negative stereotypes against black people and chances are people pick those up um like last time we talked about internalized depression it isn't just white people that are picking up these negative ideas about black people we're all breathing in this air that that says that you know these are the stereotypes and and these stereotypes should be believed so it is with those stereotypes that we may develop a type of aversive racism and get to the point where we don't you know like certain people of color because of these different characteristics that stereotypically go along with their demographic. I agree wholeheartedly with um, the negative stereotypes that are pervasive with Black folks in media or entertainment. I think one of the key pieces of why Black folks tend to have a more well-rounded view sometimes of white folks is because we tend to have to be able to integrate and uh, engage with different people to be successful, whether it's uh, education, whether it's careers. We tend to have to know how to get along with different folks. And a lot of times white folks have been able to matriculate their entire lives and never interact with anyone that wasn't necessarily white. And so they get to hold on to these stereotypes without ever having a real life experience that would help dispel it. 
Yeah, that's true. In in a very unfortunate aspect of exactly why we need to be perpetuating and understanding and, you know, grappling with critical race theory, because it is the structures that we have that indicate, you know, hey, look, yes, um, segregation may have legally ended, but we still exist in a segregated society today. It is very true that many white people, um, regardless of their income level, will have very few experiences in their life with people of color because of our, the way that we have segregated our nation. So I thought it was brilliant how you broke down critical race theory is not just about the history of what happened, but how it's showing up in our in our lives. There's always this thought of if you don't learn history, you're bound to repeat it. So what is the the, the I guess the crossover of the lap of uh, I'm in Alabama and the uh, Alabama Historical Society a few months ago came out and said, OK, you know, we may have not been truthful in our history textbooks. We may have left out things, we may have romanticized other things, but then when we're dealing with that today, you know, we're still dealing with, as you said, the effects of that past. How do we reconcile it if critical race theory is still just such a controversial topic and still debated? How do we move forward without it? We don't move forward with it. I don't see I don't see that method uh, as being something possible. I mean, I think that people have an issue with critical race theory today because of the way that it's presented. I think that the idea is that, you know, critical race theory has basically become a hot button term that for one side is perpetuated with one definition, but for the other side is given a more full picture and saying, hey, look, this is what critical race theory actually is. So with critical race theory, it is what you experienced with the um, the 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 high school textbooks not really giving a full picture of what happened mm-hmm. and like and what that means for all of us and instead giving a picture of well this is what happened for cis white men of this particular income level and you know that were likely also very able bodied and in all the other um, privileges in in there as well instead of highlighting well you know what those people that wrote these truths to uh, are self-evident that all men are created equal. They really, really meant men. They didn't really mean women. They didn't mean humans. <laughs> they really, really did mean men. But that's not the way we're thinking about it. And as they were writing it, they enslaved people. So we know that that's not what they were really thinking. They were saying men means this group of folks, like specifically ones that have a multitude of privileges of the different, like uh, privilege side of many different demographics, and they weren't thinking about everyone. And that's where using critical race theory in practice, which is another element of critical race theory, is the activism around it, is saying, please teach people the truth instead of portion of the truth. And if we knew the truth versus a portion, I, I, I'm curious as to um, all of the good, fine white folks who definitely showed up last year to be allies, become allies in, in, in the weirdness of the world, uh, specifically last summer, a lot of new allies did not know. And it wasn't so much that they had their head in the sand. I think they got an A in American history. And so they felt like they knew what happened and they have black friends and their black friends have not been complaining about any problems. So when we're talking about critical race theory and that we can't move forward without learning it and having an understanding of it, what can those allies do? You know, and, and, the, and the, I guess for me, when I look at my friends, I think there's a, an automatic situation where I don't think they are responsible for anything that happened, but I think they take on a culpability just by virtue of them being white. Well, 
we all have a couple ability to do a better job of pushing this narrative forward to doing to to teaching those who who come after us. So in terms of allies doing a better job, I will put that on all of us because all of us were susceptible to the history books being incomplete. Every no matter what your demographic like is or is or was, like you were sitting there in in that history class and you were the recipient of a lack of information and that. That's also true for our teachers today. They were recipients and now they have to make a different decision and push forward a a better narrative of, hey, look, this is what happened and this is the full picture. So specifically for our allies, as I would say to all of us, we need to do a better job of self-educating. Okay, the history books were incomplete. Let me pick up Lies My Teacher Told Me, which is a fabulous book everybody should read that tells you the more complete history of what happened. Don't have time for a complete book? Pick up an audio book. Don't have time for an audiobook, like pick up a YouTube clip. Like there, there are lots of different resources we can go out there that are consistent with the amount of time that we have and what's going on with us. There are podcasts, anything. Just do your best job with self-educating so you know the complete history so that when you hear the slice of history that tells a, a narrow view, you can interrupt that and be able to say, actually, there's more to it what we know. So when people say, oh, the GI Bill, you know, gave people a chance to be able to buy homes. Actually, you know, the GI Bill gave white men a chance in a very small subset of people of color, like specifically men who tried to use the GI Bill actually were able to use that to to get homes. Instead, they were denied the, the use of their own GI Bill. So that's an example that we can do a better job. Like when people say, oh, but segregation is over. It's like there's a diverse school down the street over there. Well, actually, if you look at the entire district, there's a school that's in that section over there that's predominantly people of color. There's a school in that section over there that's probably a little bit more mixed. But chances are, you know, there's another intersection in there that's allowing it to be more mixed. Maybe it's um something having to do with class. And there's a <laughs> another school right over there that's predominantly white. It's like when I visited um my my family back in Arkansas, oh, one time <laughs> the school that my nieces and nephews went to was predominantly black. And we were driving around. I'm like, wait a minute, there's white people over there. And and she's like, yeah, white people live here. I'm like, white people live in this town too? Really? <laughs> I was completely floored because they basically set up a system where the public school was predominantly black and the white people uh, sent their kids to, to a private school. They were basically able to school choice them, their kids out of that school. So the policies like that allow us to maintain a segregated society. That's interesting when you when you talk about it in that way, so much of it is socioeconomic. Yes. And so how much of the systems that are in place today, we talk about systemic racism and we talk about systems that were put in place, you know, 40, 50, 50, 100, 200, 300 years ago to keep a certain portion of the country disenfranchised, specifically folks based on race, how much is it also then poor folks get lumped into the Black folks' problems as well? You can't actually divorce uh, problems related to race from problems related to class because they're so intertwined that you can't put a, a literal finger on saying, well, this much of it is related to race and this much of it is related to class. There are different effects that we can see where if you took out, like if you were to do a big study and find out all the demographics and whatnot and have everybody, you know, check out the different uh, stratifications as it relates to 
income. There are, there are studies where you can take out income and be able to see a main effect of just race. But most of the time, whenever you study it, they're so intertwined that, that it's, it is an interactive effect between race and income that's leading to whatever results you're seeing. And so it was set up for Black folks to be poor and white folks to not be poor. But then some of the poor white folks got lumped in. In a state like Alabama, which is a red state in this two-party system where most of the uh, politicians and leadership are Republican, you tend to find that our school districts are very poor. And so a lot of times these white people are voting against their own interest for the sake of party. So is, is an understanding of critical race theory, something that can help dismantle this voting on party lines, even when you're voting against your own interests? Is that just educating everyone to know better? Yes, it's educating for us to have an idea of the full truth rather than a slice of the truth. So that's where we can have an opportunity to show people like, actually, if you're living in the North, of, of the United States and you're like basically voting against your own interests, like along party lines, uh, you know, because of an idea of like a, of Confederacy or something like that. And you should know mm-hmm. that idea didn't exist in the way that you think that it did. And it mm-hmm. also wasn't something that would be, have been upheld in the North. Like, so your ancestors would have actually fought against something that you're voting for now. And, and I think when you even say Confederacy, uh, it's so much uh, that's misunderstood about people who claim they support still today the Confederacy. They still got it wrong, even the history of, of that in so many ways. You've made a career and a life of researching and studying and, and teaching in this space for regular folks like myself. I have a, a, a sincere curiosity and interest in knowing better you know, or, or learning things, or, you know, it's very popular on the internet. People will say I was today years old when I've learned this. Why is it, do you think having made a career in life to pursue the research and understanding of certain things that something like history, most people just find boring and old. And how does that affect me today? And why should I care? That's a stereotype too. (laughs) Remember in getting that, that slice of the truth, chances are that slice was a particularly bolstering of people who have a lot of different privileges. And if you look at the rest of the people in in the world, most of us don't have all those different privileges that, you know, the cis white man um, who's able-bodied and of a particular income class, you're talking about a pretty small subset of the globe, which means when you're sitting down in your history class and you learned about all these great American heroes, they didn't look like you they they didn't you know, the many of your ancestors didn't look like that so that's where you may not have been able to identify with it and be able to see yourself in that history too so yeah it may have seemed boring and there's also just the stereotype that history is boring it it is just a stereotype if we you know expanded our minds in a different way and it was and there's a different approach i love my history teacher he was amazing but he used to act out everything he would do like a like act out uh, you know, different people from different eras and didn't matter if it was a man or a woman. uh, And he really tried to make it come alive for us. And I'm a lover of historical fiction. Give me some Diana Gobbledon. Like I, I love me some, some Jamie Frazier like that makes it really interesting for me. And I've learned a lot 
about history just from picking up some historical fiction. So the idea that history is boring is just a stereotype. Let's put that away with all the other stereotypes and engage instead. Uh, so it's interesting when you say historical fiction, would something like The Harder They Fall qualify or be classified? Are you familiar with that film on Netflix, The Harder I'm They Fall? Yet. No, tell me more. Okay, so The Harder They Fall is a Black Western movie that's new. Oh, probably the last Regina King? Yes. <sighs> and the beginning, it says... This is not a true story, but the people are real. And so all of the characters are real people from the wild, wild west. And they just created the story for the movie. Is that what would be considered historical fiction, real people, but in contrived <laughs> scenarios? Yes, that's an excellent example of historical fiction. Okay, okay. Because I, I had never really heard of that as a genre until you just said that. And, and it clicked that I had just seen that film. But what it did do, it causes you to then go research these actual historical figures. I say, well, wait, who is this? You know, who is uh, Trudy and uh, Stagecoach Mary and all those different things? who are real folks that we never learned about in school, but through way of this current film, you become curious. And I think, I think it is about presentation. And even when you said that we're learning about these historical figures that don't look like us, that don't reflect us, the ones that did reflect us were never presented in a humane way. So you didn't necessarily want to find an attachment to it. You know, I know I grew up and by the time we were the little bit, we learned about slavery, you know, no one's going around thinking about, these people were enslaved. My ancestors were enslaved. You know, even the language of learning about calling someone a slave or, you know, the, the nuances of saying, you know, they, they took slaves from Africa when it's like, well, they took people and enslaved them, you know, and, and that kind of thing. I think you get those nuances and understandings in language and the power of that presentation as you get older, as you listen, as you learn. And you get a, um, a more mature way to, to have an understanding for sure. But when you were talking about um, what we can all do and you were saying, as we learn, we can stop these incorrect stories and say, no, actually, which is one of my favorite things to do because Google is free. Um, <laughs> we like to offer people an idea at the end of every episode to hashtag be the change. What can we all do? If someone's listening to this podcast, what can we do to be a champion of critical race theory? You know, we might not be a politician or a school board member or a teacher or the people that tend to show up in the news when this topic comes up, but how can we support the idea and make it actively uh, relevant in our own lives? So I would say, number one, find a YouTube, anything that is within your bandwidth to just figure out what is the definition of critical race theory. There's too many things that are going out there that are, that are saying that it's this or this, that, and when it really does boil down to racial unfairness has permeated our institutions and we need to understand the, the history so that we can understand where we are today because the, the history is continuing. It's not just in the past, but you need to find out your own way of grappling with this definition. And then from there, it's disrupting. So self-educate so that you can have that opportunity to be able to push forward in any time you see this and like anything that you're doing. So it's, it's it's saying, hey, let's watch this period piece to learn more about what's going on, you know, such as the one that you mentioned with, with Regina King in it. That gives all of us an opportunity to engage with history in a different way instead of trying to just memorize facts and figures to be able to pass a test. 
And and that's really what it comes down to. And it's interesting because even in thinking about that film on Netflix right now, there's another film on Netflix called Passing, talking about Black folks passing back in the day is that particular story. But it's interesting how many more of those stories are being produced in real time. I wonder how much of it is a reaction to, you know, is the studio green lighting more of these type films that would have a uh, audience and a, a new interest point now that so many more people are realizing we haven't been learning the whole truth, as you would say, the whole slice of the pie. And that's a very, uh, it's a much easier way than sitting through my former history teacher's classes. I actually used to sit outside of the class because I don't know, talking, disrupt, I can't remember, it was a long time ago. (laughs) But I appreciate you, Dr. Eden Renee Hayes, in that, like you said, disrupting the narratives that are wrong or or half told, or that are keeping us disenfranchised and keeping us divided and separated and just keeping us ignorant. And hopefully the history of being Black is a little piece of that disruption that people are listening to our wonderful guests and thought leaders and saying, hey, I didn't know that. Let me learn more about that. Or, oh, that's interesting. I need to know more. And that's the goal of the podcast. And so we really appreciate you being a part of our mission and always offering your insights and expertise to us. And hopefully you will come back and join us yet again for another episode. Love to. Wonderful. We got that on tape. Okay, good deal. Thank you guys for listening, as always, to the History of Being Black. If you've ever missed any episodes, you can always go back, re-listen to them, share them with a friend, tell a friend about them. We're hoping that we are making that difference and that we're all being the change. Until next time, please take care of yourselves. The History of Being Black podcast is hosted and produced by Eunice Elliott. Associate producer, Ariel Mancibo. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And on IG and Twitter at History of Being Black. The History of Being Black podcast is a mean old lion media production.